This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. You're listening to the Faith 2020 Podcast, helping you see 2020 clearly through the lens of faith. Now here's your host, Michael Ware. This is the Faith 2020 Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Ware. And after about a month break, I'm comfortable saying that we now have a presumptive Democratic nominee in Joe Biden. Uh, So we are looking at a general election between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joseph Biden. What that means for this podcast is we're going to pivot towards the general. There are some aspects of how faith intersects with a primary that carry over into a general election, but there are new factors at play as well. Different constituencies carry on a new significance. And so I would urge you to listen to previous episodes to hear about topics that we may not be able to cover again extensively before the general election. We're obviously in the middle of a country-changing, election-shaping crisis right now, and I think we're all dealing with it in different ways personally. I mean, just as a personal note, I would like to extend my prayer and encouragement to you. These are difficult times. And even if your community, your family hasn't been affected in terms of health, may not you may not know uh, personally someone who has been infected. I, I find this to be a moment where folks are all being pressured to think in ways that we haven't had to think in a while. And I, I think that that could be a, a good thing. It could also be a, a harmful thing if this is leading you to be anxious, if this is leading you to be fearful in an unhealthy way. I also find that this is a moment where folks are able to think about the state of their souls, think about their inner life in ways that maybe they haven't had the opportunity to do before because so many distractions were available. And then, of course, there are people on the front lines who who probably don't have that luxury. They may be thinking uh, about issues and ideas that they haven't had the occasion to think about, but they're they're doing it in the midst of action. And so I want to, you know, I want to make sure that the wide array of experiences and ways of ways that this crisis is affecting people are, are, are recognized. I do think that there is something interesting here, and I'm, I'm not the first one to, to say it, but in an increasingly stratified, parochial, tribalistic political environment, the impulse towards solidarity that this moment can push us toward, I, th- I think it's just very interesting And hopefully it's a good reminder that at some fundamental level, we are all in this together. (laughs) And I think that the way that we process this is going to go a long way towards deciding the general election. Uh, Does this moment push people into even more insular spaces? Does it push people to be more inward focused than they even were before? Or does this provoke a different impulse? We'll see. I I think it's going to be a key 
dynamic in the general election as we move forward. All right. Well, I don't want to provide too much analysis on the state of the race at this point. In part, that's because I want the interview today to begin to provide us with some some data that we could work with. But I do want to provide a, a few updates. First, the Democratic Party has moved back its convention now to August. And there are some financial implications of this. Uh, you can't spend money out of your general election fund until until the candidate is nominated. And so there are some concerns about that. I actually think this is a good thing overall. I think the idea that Biden's going to have a shorter period of time between the Democratic convention and the election, I think is just going to be very good for his campaign. I also like the idea, though I would prefer if the convention was uh, held after the president's convention. It's going to be a week before the Republican convention as opposed to five, six weeks before. I, I think that could work out well too. But, but that's, that's a significant, a significant update. We, then we've also seen, I, I want to flag for you this newsletter that Vice President Biden has started. They're experimenting with all different kinds of ways to communicate with voters since he can't be traveling due to the coronavirus. This newsletter, they put out the first edition maybe a week ago. It was faith heavy. I also think there's much to laud in two primary messages that the Biden campaign is pushing right now. The, the first is they're really giving the vice president a lot of space to show, display his apparent humanity, empathy in the midst of a crisis. And I think that's a very powerful message right now. And then second, lifting up positive stories of service. And honestly, the only political actor that's doing this better than Biden right now is the Obama Foundation. The Obama Foundation has just absolutely been crushing it uh, over the last two, three weeks in terms of uh, sharing helpful, widely appealing information. It, it's just such a striking contrast with the current administration and something that, that Biden is providing as well. And I think this tie of service and empathy is just going to be a, a one-two punch for the vice president in the coming months. So I think that's powerful. All right. We're going to have a lot of time. We have months to look at the general election. We're, we're going to start that now. We're going to be talking with Greg Smith from Pew Research. And Pew Research Center, they've put out two important studies last month. The first of which is an update of their religious landscape survey, which is really one of the most comprehensive sets of data regarding the religious makeup and influences uh, among the American public. And so interesting update there uh, that we'll talk with Greg about. Uh, and then also the first Really significant uh, research from Pew in 2020 uh, going into voters' perspectives regarding faith in the presidential election. And so I thought this would be a good way to sort of kick off the general election portion of this podcast, uh, of the Faith 2020 podcast, by talking to Greg Smith, who runs that research for Pew and just has a ton of really interesting information for us to share Hopefully, Greg won't be the last sort of researcher we'll be talking to. What I want to do really over the next 
month, six weeks or so, is try and expand the the inputs and the data and the sort of evidence that we have to provide us with even more fodder than has already been provided throughout the life of this podcast to head into the general election. And so when we get back, I'm going to introduce Greg and then have a really fascinating uh, conversation with him. This is the Faith 2020 Podcast. This is the Faith 2020 Podcast, and I really think you're going to get a lot out of this interview. I know I did. Our guest for this episode is Gregory Smith, the Associate Director of Research at Pew Research Center. Greg helps to coordinate the center's domestic polling on religion. He writes reports, provides information in news media and podcasts like, like ours about religion and public opinion, religion and American politics, and the political views of Catholics. Smith holds a doctorate in government from the University of Virginia, where he was a fellow at the Center on Religion and Democracy. He's uh, an author of the 2007 and 2014 U.S. Religious Landscape Surveys, the 2010 U.S. Religious Knowledge Survey, and the 2007 and 2011 Pew Research Center's studies of religious uh, surveys of Muslim Americans and the 2012 Mormons in America report. He has also been central to telling the story of the rise of the religious nuns that we'll talk about. He wrote a book, Politics in the Parish, The Political Influence of Catholic Priests, in 2008. And... Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, here's Greg Smith. I am just so happy to have uh, Greg Smith uh, with us here for the Faith 2020 podcast. How are you, Greg? I'm great. It's good to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This is really our first uh, episode after... The, the primary has, has been widely judged to be, the Democratic primary has been widely judged to be uh, over, and we have a, a, a presumptive nominee, at least I'm comfortable uh, saying that. And so I wanted to pivot a bit to the general election and sort of the broader electorate, and uh, there are a few people that I can think of to help us do that better than you. I want to talk quite a bit about the a research you released in the uh, last month regarding, it actually covers quite a bit of territory. There's sort of the headlines are around white evangelicals, but there's really interesting information here about the religious, the religious landscape generally. Before we turn to that survey, uh, you, uh, Pew also um, put out a update of its religious landscape survey. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about that. The headline is, uh, in in United States, decline of Christianity continues at rapid pace. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I can. We put out a report late last year in the fall of 2019 that kind of took a look back at polling that we've conducted over the last decade in terms of the religious composition of the United States. And as the title suggests, the data show very clearly that there is rapid change underway continuing in the United States. We find that the share of Americans who identify as Christians has continued to decline. That number has shrunk by about 12 percentage points over the last decade or so, from 77% to 65% of Americans today who describe themselves as Christians. Meanwhile, the share of the U.S. public that says they have no religion 
that describes themselves as atheist or agnostic or simply nothing in particular, that group has continued to grow as a share of the population. Today, we estimate that something more than one quarter of U.S. adults, 26 percent, say they have no religion. So there is very rapid change underway in the U.S. religious landscape. I really want to pull out two two reasons why, why this is important. Uh, the, the first is it really helps us to get a sense of the landscape in which Christians are, are operating, particularly um, at those whose uh, Christian identity is sort of at the forefront. There are headlines and there's a reality of a decline of Christianity. And that's just a very important backdrop for this election. And then just the second thing, and, and Greg, uh, P- P- you and Pew have helped me with this over the years. Folks shouldn't overestimate the extent to which uh, political decision makers understand the uh, the religious makeup of the country they serve. <laughs> I, I uh, have been in uh, enough briefings with with uh, with very smart people um, who have been surprised uh, to hear that. Uh, again, even with these narratives about Christian decline. Uh, to hear that uh, the, the a strong majority of Americans still identify as Christian, uh, or that uh, uh, still Catholics and uh, evangelicals make up more than half of the population, if you include uh, if you include uh, uh, all Hispanic evangelicals and Asian uh, American evangelicals, and so just getting a sense of what the country looks like and what the electorate will look like uh, in 2020 is just, just really important. Uh, Is there, Greg, is there any, before we move to the next survey, is there anything else that kind of stuck out to you about the, uh, uh, in your update of the religious landscape? Well, I would just reiterate that, that you, what you just said is exactly on the mark. You know, there are big changes underway. The share of Americans who are Christian is declining, But we've got to remember that the United States remains a very religious place. The big majority of people in the United States do, in fact, identify with a religion, mainly Christianity. Lots of Americans say that religion is a very important part of their lives. Lots of Americans attend religious services regularly. They say they pray regularly. So we both both things are true. The trends are very clearly moving in one direction. But it's also true that many, many people in the United States are deeply religious. Both things are true. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's just uh, uh, really, I think, for folks looking, looking at this election as citizens and for those working in it, reporting on it, uh, th- that's going to be really important. I, I do want to move on to this is uh, your first major... Uh, sort of political 2020 research of uh, focus on this presidential election. It is just chock full of of interesting uh, interesting information about Americans' views on Trump morality, uh, th- the way that the Bible should influence policies and we're we're going to uh, hopefully we'll get into quite a bit of that but I did want to just give you an opportunity to provide sort of some opening comment or sort of opening look on what what really were the 
pull out items for you. This is a March 12th uh, Pew Research uh, Center study. Uh, the, the headline of the study is White Evangelicals See Trump as Fighting for Their Beliefs though many have mixed feelings about his personal conduct. The subhead here is to the public overall, morality is more important in a president than strong religious beliefs. Uh, Greg, what did you think were the, uh, were, were the top takeaways from, from this study? And, and we'll, we'll dig in as, as we move on. Sure. Uh, well, I think maybe the first thing to note, I'm glad you raised the date of the report. The, the report came out on March the 12th. The survey was actually conducted in early to mid-February. And in many ways, as we sit here today, that, that feels like a lifetime ago. A lot has changed <laughs> in the United States since then. Um, yeah. That said, um, I was struck by several things in the survey. Uh, one of the things we've continued to see in our polling is that white evangelicals who have long been among the president's strongest supporters continue to back him very forcefully. I don't see any indication that that is changing. In this survey, we can see that white evangelical Protestants largely say they see Donald Trump as someone who is fighting for their beliefs and who is advancing their interests. And they think, uh, potentially because of Trump's um, impact, they think that their side has generally been winning lately on the political issues that are important to them. And that's a big change from just a few years ago. At the same time, the survey also shows that when it comes to his personal qualities and his conduct in office, many, even among Trump's strongest supporters, many white evangelicals have mixed feelings. They do not view President Trump as a particularly religious person. Uh, they do not necessarily think that he is very honest or very morally upstanding, though, some of, though many of them do say they think he is at least somewhat religious or that terms like honest and morally upstanding describe him fairly well. Uh, they, they have really mixed feelings about his own personal morality. Uh, those are some of the, 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 there's a lot, as you mentioned, there's a lot in the survey, but those are some of the first things that jumped out at me. Yeah, it j jumped out at me as well. And, and, you know, to some extent, it reflects, uh, I, I could see some people looking at this and, and saying, you know, th this reflects a, a fairly sophisticated level of analysis from these white evangelicals that, especially in uh, a hyper-polarized tribal time in our politics, when typically, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that typically we see voters project uh the the characteristics that they value most onto the politicians they support. Um, this that's not what we that's not what we uh, what we see here. At least when it comes to white evangelicals and faith and morality. Now you can look at that and say uh, maybe faith and morality just don't uh, have have uh, taken a secondary sort of um, position to other values for for white evangelicals. But you could also look at it and say. Um, yeah, you, you know, uh, they they have real concerns or or uh, their mixed feelings, as the report says about Trump as a person. But they're making up political judgment here. Does that when when you look at this, uh, uh, does that sort of 
reflect what you're seeing in the data or is there some kind of silver thread that that helps you make sense of uh this seemingly conflicting set of opinions uh, from white evangelicals no i think you're absolutely right i think that partisanship is a big part of what's going on here and that is not new and and i'd, I'd point to a couple of things um first of all you're absolutely right that um there is a there's a political calculation being made here in the sense that the share of white evangelical Christians, white evangelical Protestants, who say it's very important to them to have a president who stands up for people with their religious beliefs, far exceeds the number who say it's very important to have a president who shares their religious beliefs or that or who even has strong religious beliefs of their own, even if they're different from those of white evangelical Protestants. They're telling us that they want someone who stands up for them more than they want someone who necessarily shares all of their beliefs and values. So that's that's the first thing to point out. I think the second thing I'd point out, uh, I mentioned partisanship um, this isn't the first time that we've seen this kind of pattern among white evangelical Protestants in American politics. I'm, when I think about the connection between white evangelicals and support for Donald Trump, I'm often reminded of the 2012 election. Obviously a very different time, a very different election, but, the, but there was a similar thing at play. And what I mean by that is this, when we did polling in the early part of that campaign in late 2011, we found that among white evangelical Protestants, uh, Mitt Romney was not their favorite candidate. They right. would have rather, they would have preferred to see somebody else get the Republican nomination for, for the presidency. That said, it was also very, very clear from very early in that campaign that if it came, if it came down to a choice between Mitt Romney uh, uh, who, of course, is Mormon and, and white evangelical Protestants have a lot of reservations about Mormonism. But if it came down to a choice between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, the choice for white evangelical voters was going to be clear. They were going to vote for Mitt Romney. And that is exactly what turned out to happen. Now, of course, Mitt Romney didn't win the election, but he received as much support from white evangelical voters as John McCain and George W. Bush had before him. So this is not, and we saw something similar in the 2016 campaign as well. Donald Trump was not always the preferred candidate of white evangelical Christian voters in the primaries. Um, but once he became the nominee, once it became clear he would be the candidate, they rallied behind him and they have stuck with him in, in a way that's very similar to what we've seen uh, for previous Republican presidents and presidential candidates. Yeah, that's. Uh, I agree with that. I think that's really insightful. Um, we'll we'll probably talk a bit more about white evangelicals, but I, I do just want to point out, you, you know, the the research, the, the the report suggests that it's not just white evangelicals that sort of uh, th that attribute some of these, whether it's Trump being intelligent, or whether he fights for what I believe in. Uh, to, to Trump, but but actually white Christians that there's a there's a racial distinction going on here. Can you talk a little bit of, about that? Uh, white Catholics and white mainline Protestants actually sort of trending towards white evangelicals views more than um, more than perhaps um, you know white Catholics trending towards Latino Catholics uh, beliefs. Uh 
Absolutely. You raise a couple of very important points. Uh, maybe, maybe first of all, is that we have to remember that you simply cannot escape the importance of race, race and ethnicity as a factor in American politics. Um, when we talk about the connection between religion and politics, um, that connection really exists among white people. We know that people from racial and ethnic minority backgrounds in the United States are, uh, on average, quite religiously observant, and they are strongly democratic. And they are strongly democratic regardless of their level of religious commitment. Um, we know that Hispanic Catholics, we know that African-American Protestants are, are, are deeply religious and strongly supportive of the Democratic Party. That's, that's the first thing to note. We, we have to bear that in mind. When we look at white voters, we see there that evangelical Protestants are the strongest supporters of President Trump, but they are not alone. White Catholic voters and white Protestants who are not evangelical also uh, largely admire the president. Um, two thirds of white Catholic voters and white Protestants who are not evangelical say that they think Donald Trump is intelligent. A similar share say that they think Donald Trump fights for what they believe in. I was especially struck in, in this survey that most white Catholics and most white Protestants who are not evangelical say they tend to agree with Donald Trump on many, nearly all, or all of the important political issues of the day. So white evangelical Protestants are the strongest supporters of the president, but they are not alone. Other white Christians also uh, tend to be admirers and supporters of Donald Trump. Yeah, there is, uh, I think sometimes the way this kind of information is reported to the public, uh, there's a suggestion that there's a religious political party in America and a secular political party. Uh, as you know, that's just not the case. <laughs> Both not. parties are, are uh, have a strong majority of, of uh a religious makeup. The Democratic Party is about a third of religiously unaffiliated, and that does include, yes, atheists, but also agnostics and uh, uh, and those who who just don't affiliate with a specific religious tradition. But what we do have is one party that is overwhelmingly white. And that is the Republican Party, and one party that um, has has a a, a much uh, more robust uh, racial uh, makeup, to say the least. That's exactly right. The uh, it's very interesting that um, within the Demo within the Democratic Party, you have large numbers of uh, supporters. Large numbers of Democrats uh, come from racial and ethnic minority backgrounds, and they, on average, are quite religiously observant. It is. It is true that among it is true that white Democrats, on average, are far far less religiously observant than Republicans. That that is, yes. there is a chasm that divides right. um, white Democrats from Republicans in terms of their religiousness. But there is a huge percentage of Democratic voters, especially among racial and ethnic minorities, who are deeply religious. It's quite interesting if you look at the patterns in the data. Um, when it comes to their religiousness, 
their religious beliefs, the, the degree to which they say they believe in God, the frequency with which they say they pray, the frequency with which they say they attend religious services, the number who identify with the religion, especially Christianity. When you look at all of those things, Democrats who come from racial and ethnic minority backgrounds actually have more in common with Republicans right. than they do with their white counterparts in the Democratic Party. So there's a there's the 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 Republican Party by and large is composed of highly religious white voters. The Democratic Party is quite diverse. You have many white voters who on average are not particularly religious, especially compared with Republicans, but many, many racial and ethnic minority voters who are deeply religious. Yeah. And just to speak to that a bit further, you have this question that I've seen before in, in, in your research, but it's, it's updated here uh, on whether the Bible should influence U.S. laws. And, and this is just a perfect example of, of what we're talking about here. Uh, white evangelicals, uh, 58% say the Bible should have uh, a great deal uh, of influence on uh, American laws. 31% uh, say it, the Bible should have some influence on American laws for a total of 89%. Uh, black Protestants, 47% say a great deal. And 29% say uh, some influence for, for a total of 76%. Um, the, the overall population, l- less than half, about 49%, say that the Bible should have a great deal or some influence on U.S. laws. So it just speaks to exactly sort of what you're, what you're, what you're pointing out, that there is this, uh, the, the, the most uh, committed Democratic voters, uh, 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 black black voters and the most committed Republican voters of white evangelicals share some fundamental beliefs in common, uh, and it it really um, uh, it it really suggests something about as you said and as as we talk about on the show quite a bit uh, the the fundamental role that that race plays in American politics and the way that uh, issues that uh, that involve race are fundamental drivers of voters' decisions. They absolutely are. I'm, I'm glad you raised that question. I think it's one of the most interesting questions in the survey. The public as a whole is divided between those who think the Bible should have a great deal or some influence on U.S. laws and those who think the Bible shouldn't have much influence or shouldn't have any influence on U.S. laws. But white evangelical Protestants and black Protestants are united in saying they want U.S. laws to be informed at least to some extent by the Bible. We asked an interesting follow-up to that question, kind of a hypothetical follow-up for those people who said, they, they think the Bible should have at least some influence on U.S. laws. We, we asked them to consider a hypothetical situation. What, what if the Bible conflicts with the will of the American people? In, in that instance, which should have more influence on the laws of the land? Should it be the Bible or should it be the will of the American people? And there again, we see white evangelicals and black Protestants really stand out. Two-thirds of white evangelical Protestants and half of black Protestants say that when the Bible and the will of the American people conflict, the Bible should have more influence than the will of the people on the laws of the land. And, and, and they, they stand out for their high levels of, of, of 
for the high numbers of people who express that view. Among other groups, uh, far fewer people say the Bible should take precedence over the will of the people. Yeah. So just to put on my political strategist hat for a second, just to point out something to my uh, to, to, to my audience, those who are, are listening in. Uh, oftentimes, when Democrats believe they're making a criticism of Republicans and particularly white evangelicals, that's the sort of subtext on religious issues. Oh, you believe, you know, stop, stop talking about religion and believe in science. Uh, uh, You know, your, your, your faith doesn't, you know, shouldn't be guiding uh, policy decisions. Uh, It's not just white evangelicals and Republicans who hear that rhetoric. It is significant portions of the Democratic base that actually disagree when some Democrats speak in that way. And uh, it's, it's, it's a fundamental tension that is often the, the lid is kept on because, as we've already discussed in this episode, there are some fundamental policy uh, areas where black Protestants agree with Democrats. But when we, when we talk about things like turnout, when we talk about things like, like enthusiasm, often the conversation trends towards uh, sort of what D.C., advocacy groups would like uh, the Democratic candidate to be talking about more. And I, I would just point out uh, data like this suggests that, that maybe there are some other factors at play or some other levers to be, to be thinking about uh, when it comes to the way that both parties speak about religion, right? I mean, it seems foolish in this uh, in in this era, especially to those who are sort of deeply read in on politics, to think about uh, Republicans doing massive outreach to Black Americans, but I'll tell you, they are. Uh, tr- President Trump's campaign is already investing significant money into the the digital operation, in particular, uh, trying to reach Black Americans. And this is some of the ground that they're using. (laughs) It is these kinds of issues and dynamics that Trump is just going to try and pull off five, seven points among black Americans. And if he does that, uh, the outcome in 2020 is going to be deeply affected by that. So, uh, Greg, I want to give you the opportunity to comment on any of that. But I know that sort of political strategy is uh, Pew prides itself on providing us with the data and letting politicos do with it, you know, what they, what they see fit. But, but do you have any comments on, on it? I do. You're right. We, it's uh, we are a strictly nonpartisan organization. We don't take positions on, on any policy issues. It's not for us to suggest strategies, but I would say your observation is right on the mark uh, in this sense. Um, you know, if we think back to what we began our conversation with about the, the long-term trends in American politics, uh, you know, we see that the share of Americans as a whole who say they are not religious, who don't identify with any religion, that group is growing very rapidly. And that group is strongly democratic in their partisanship and in the way they vote in presidential elections and down ballot elections. So the growth of the religiously unaffiliated people the growth of religiously unaffiliated people in the United States 
should, all else equal, accrue to the benefit of Democrats. They are, by and large, Democratic voters. So they should be benefiting from the growth of the quote-unquote nuns, N-O-N-E-S, in, in American religion. Uh, and, and, and no doubt they are. Uh, that, that is a strongly Democratic group. However, you're right to point out, and I've, I've long been interested in this tension um, you have growing numbers of Americans, especially within the Democratic Party, who are not religious. But we know that one of the longstanding, long-term core constituencies of the Democratic Party, African-Americans, Hispanics, other racial and ethnic minorities, uh, are deeply religious. So how do you reconcile that tension? I don't have an answer to that. I, I can't suggest a strategy for that. But it is a very interesting uh, tension that definitely exists within the Democratic Party. You've been so gracious with your time where I kind of, <laughs> I wish I could uh, end it on a more uplifting note, but but I do just want to ask, you know, it's important when we talk about sort of the decline of religion and the way that voters and Americans are interpreting that. Um, it, it's not just about declining numbers, but a, a, a perceived at least, uh, decline in influence. And the, the, the data on this is just really fascinating because it sort of spans across the electorate. You know, 34, a third of religiously unaffiliated uh, voters find a conflict between their religious beliefs or, or, and mainstream American culture. Uh, 45% of Christians find the same. Uh, there's uh, sort of sweeping views about uh, almost half of religiously unaffiliated Americans believe that Christianity's influence is declining in America, while 56% of Christians believe the same. Um, and so just uh, talk a little bit about, like, this isn't just a, a, a numbers thing, though, though certainly the changing demographics influence that, but Help us wrap our minds around what voters mean uh, generally when they talk about a, a decline of Christianity's influence in America. Yeah, it's interesting. We 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 ask people, um, especially those people who said that they think Christianity's influence is declining in American life, and that's that's the plurality position of the public. More than half of Americans do think that Christianity is declining. Christianity's influence is declining in American life. We asked an interesting follow-up question about why people think that is. What do they think is, is causing the decline? And um, not surprisingly, we see six in 10 people who think Christianity's influence is declining say it's because of the growth of the number of people in the United States who are not particularly religious. But an equally large share say they blame misconduct by Christian leaders. So Americans think that's having an impact on Christianity's level of influence. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people also think that more permissive attitudes about sexual behavior and sexuality and pop culture are part of what's at play. And that's often something pointed to by evangelical voters. So people point to a variety of factors they think uh, are behind some of these changes. One thing I was really struck by in, in this survey, uh, you know, after we asked people whether or not they think Christianity's influence is growing or shrinking, yeah, we, we followed up and we asked people who, who think Christianity's influence is declining, whether or not they think that's a permanent change 
something that's here mm. to stay, or is it is it a is it a temporary change that might reverse itself moving forward? And the public was divided on that question. Among the fifty three percent of Americans who say they think Christianity's influence is declining, twenty seven percent say they think that's a permanent change; it's here to stay. But nearly as many, 24% of U.S. adults say they think it's temporary, say they think Christianity's influence is is ultimately going to rebound. Now, who knows what will actually happen moving forward, but I was struck by that divide. I, I, I lied. I'm going to ask one final question, Greg, which is, you, you know, uh, I'm sure you have other research in the, in the pipeline already. Um, and w- would just love a sense, either based on research that's in the pipeline or, or just sort of personally, is there anything that those who are looking for the influence that faith is going to have on this upcoming presidential election, is there anything in particular that, that we should be looking for? What, what, what kind of uh, milestones or flashpoints or sort of key pieces of, of data do you think could play a determinative or, uh, you know, important role in, in this election? Yes. Well, you know, the big thing that I'm going to be looking for um, moving forward, and, and I'm certainly not alone in this, I'm sure this is true of every political observer, is um, what is the impact of this outbreak of the coronavirus on American politics? And I mean that in a couple of ways. Uh, I say Amer- uh, influence on American politics, but American life more broadly. Uh, I mean that in a couple of ways. One is I'll be interested to see what, if any, impact the crisis has on the long-term trends in American religion. We've talked about how relig- the the um, the number of religious people, the number of Christians in the United States has been declining. The number of people who say they attend religious services regularly has been declining. What's the impact of the outbreak on this? Will the outbreak spur people to return to faith, to return to uh, religion? Uh, or especially as people have, have um, been attending religious services less often in recent weeks because many churches are no longer holding in-person religious services, uh, is the... Um, disaffection from American religion going to accelerate? I don't know what the answer to that question is, but I'll be watching that. I'll be watching to see what's the impact of the outbreak on American religion. And we know, of course, that that will have political impacts because uh, religion and politics are so closely connected in American life. The other thing I'll be watching with respect to uh, the outbreak is um, how does the public review, view the response of the administration to the crisis? Um, yeah. Is yep. there, uh, especially among white evangelicals and longtime supporters of the president, how do they rate his reaction to the crisis? And will that have any impact uh, on the way they'll vote in the fall? I don't know the answer to that, but that's what I'll be watching. Well, uh, Greg, we'll be watching you and Pew to all uh, provide us with with the, the best data and, and research that helps us to make sense of all of this. And we're so grateful for your work. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. That's very kind of you to say. Really enjoyed being with you and uh, can't wait to see uh, what happens moving forward. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. As I said in the introduction to that interview, I want you to keep what Greg 
talked about in the back of your mind over the next you know six months here. This is all going to be relevant stuff as uh, we head into the general, as we watch how the campaigns uh, try to reach out to and react to religious voters. And I think that interview provides a significant amount of uh, treasure, a significant amount of sort of signposts uh, as we we think about how we look at the 2020 general election. All right, that's all for this week's episode. Look forward to continuing to share a conversation and insights with you, insights from guests on the Faith 2020 podcast. Would ask that you take care of yourself and those around you uh, in these difficult, interesting, novel times. Please take care of yourselves. All right, until next time, this is Michael Weir. You've been listening to the Faith 2020 Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.